The scripture reading this morning is from Titus, chapter 3, 1 through 8. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. The word of God for the people of God. I was thinking, thinking back to times when I was about eight, I would go and visit uh, my grandparents. Uh, my grandfather had a shop, uh, not a garage, like a real shop, right? Back in the back of the property, where it seemed like he had every woodworking tool you could ever imagine. Uh, he had uh, drill presses, and he had lathes, and he had saws. Uh, some of them were powered, and some of them were not. And all of them looked like they came from a place that was nothing like Home Depot. One particular, and, and my grandfather could make anything. I, I had I have toys um, from childhood that he had uh, made with his own two hands, and they're some of the most precious possessions that I have. Um, but the one tool I loved the most was the lathe. He, he had a powered lathe um, that, uh, that was, um, you could see the belts. Um, the uh, cord um, looked like it had been repaired 10 or 15 times. Um, it had um, mountains of sawdust on it in particular places where the wood, uh, where the wood shavings would come off. Um, I loved that he had, it must have been 30 tools, all different shapes, all different lengths that he could place on the spinning lathe the wood that was turning, and make any design that you'd ever see uh, online or in a furniture store. I was amazed to watch with his own two hands. He could take something common like a piece of wood, a dowel, and turn it into something of beauty. Making things. Do you remember that moment when you realized that there were some people who could just make things? Things that were beautiful, things that were practical, things that made a difference in the world. They didn't have to go to Walmart to pick it up. They just knew how to make it. That's kind of a theme for today's Sunday is how it's made. Um, maybe you're familiar with the cultural reference, right? The movie or the TV series, How It's Made. 
Um, you can actually um, document uh, stages and developments in my family's life together based upon a few particular uh, TV shows. Um, we're the DVR, Hulu, Netflix kind of a generation, right? Uh, and so um, particular times and places, we just get hooked into a particular show. Sometimes it's the Waltons, um, other times it's Psych, um, but this one period of life, it was how it's made. It just seemed to be an, an easy place for people, uh, for my family to come together. And so uh, how it's made, if you haven't seen it, it's had 15 uh, seasons. It's been around since 2001. It first got its start out of a Quebec uh, a, a Canadian company um, that would go around and film the manufacturing process of various um, uh, companies there in the province. Now, they were really intentional to, uh, they'd show you a picture of what they were going to um, show you how it's made, and then they would show you logical steps all the way through. No one ever spoke on camera. They never had any words on camera. It was always pictures of processes, and it would end the segment with somebody using whatever the device or idea was. Now, it was intentional not to have anybody speaking or any words, because then they would overdub different languages and be able to market it all across the world. How it's made for as uh, kind of boring as it could be is one of the most successfully syndicated shows in the world. So this one article I was reading about, um, the journalist thought, surely from 2001 to 2016, the way we make things has changed dramatically, right? The things that you might have um, uh, manufactured in 2001 and the way that you'd manufacture them now would be completely different. I, I remember one of the first episodes we saw was um, how to make uh, uh, China through, or um, crystal through glass blowing. It was great. One of the more recent ones was um, how in a clean room um, you um, make um, uh, circuit boards. These are completely different experiences. So the journalist calls the producers and asks, how much has changed in the 15 years that you've been making how it's made? And the producers say, not at all. I mean, yeah, we're, we're better at um, shooting shots and we've gone to more diverse industries and we don't just do in Quebec anymore, we do all around the world. Um, sure, we have gotten better at what we do, but the formula stays the same because the formula works. People wanna see the thing, they want logical steps of how the thing was made, and they wanna see someone using the thing. That's it. That if we deviate from the recipe, it might be more entertaining, it might be more informative, it might be longer or shorter, but it's not an episode of how it's made. There's a formula. And if we do the formula, it works. How it's made. I think our favorite um, particular uh, process um, at our house is the extruder. I want an extruder so bad just for my own house. I don't even know what I'd extrude with it, right? But it's a cool thing to see. Our scripture passage today comes from uh, the letter to, uh, from Titus, uh, the, um, the uh, it, now I want to challenge you, right? I, I am terrified that I'm actually going to say this in front of y'all. Um, we, we had to readjust scriptures. Um, I had to look up in a paper Bible just this morning, Titus. Now I'm sure there's some Baptists in the house and they probably know exactly where it is right after Timothy, right? But I was looking everywhere, and it's not like Titus is really long, right? It's only two pages. Y'all are not laughing. 
you don't know where Titus is, huh? All right. <laughs> you know, I have used um, computer-based scripture uh, for so long that you just have to type in Titus 2 and it comes up. You know, little did I know that it was buried between, you know, the last of the Timothys and the first of the Johns. Good grief. So, our scripture passage today is a very small piece. It's not about uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's not about the initial work of the church and the acts of the apostles. It's not even some of Paul's great writings to the various churches throughout Macedonia. It's really one of those small, we call it pastoral pieces. It's really, um, it's a piece that answers the question, so what? I mean, so what? Jesus died for your sins. So what? You accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What now? How best will you be a part of what God is doing? In many ways, what Titus is about is that transition. Uh, and you could hear it in this passage. You can hear it also in chapter 3. We were once um, filled with um, uh, evil things. Uh, in fact, the chapter 3 says uh, even that we were disgusting before God. That there was so much that we did wrong. But by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, by the accepting of his grace, we are made righteous. And then it goes on to say in chapter 3 that we inherit a treasure beyond our knowing. I, I want to focus in on that made righteous. Um, and then also in the inherit a treasure those are things to think about, right? I mean, in, in the Brazosport area, we know how to make things, right? Whether it's welding or whether it's uh, forming students in our schools uh, or, or whether it's uh, making chemicals, uh, we know how to make things. But do you know how to make righteousness? Do you know how to make disciples? It's something that we don't usually talk about, how to make disciples. Do, do you have a favorite recipe of how to make disciples? Um, I know that I do. Uh, one of the things that, ooh, is it going to work? I have a clicker. Oh, clicker. There it is. Yay. Um, so what's interesting is for the last 20 or 30 years, churches have focused on making converts. We want um, first-time guests to come in the door and to uh, take their first step. We're so good at getting people to take their first step. Uh, sometimes we forget that there are subsequent steps afterwards. And so we end up with churches filled with, uh, you can either think of them as converts or you can think of them as consumers. Uh, people who are there for their own needs, people who are there uh, to get uh, their nugget of truth, people who are there to consume a little bit and then head down the road. But really what we need is not a recipe to make consumers, but a recipe to make disciples. Now, um, everybody has a recipe for making disciples. I'm intentionally making those small because those are not my favorite recipes. I'd rather you uh, watch this next recipe instead. In fact, some of you heard this over and over again, right? How often do I see helping people take their next step in their faith journey with Christ? I say it every worship service. That that really is our purpose. It is the compass for Chapelwood. Um, we don't believe that discipleship is a whole elephant that you need to devour but it's just listening to the Spirit prompt you to take your next step. Uh, for uh, the last couple of years, I've said, you know, everybody knows what their next step is. Um, my job isn't to tell you to go do that next step, but to encourage you to listen to the one who's calling you. Now, the recipe for making disciples has a little bit of something to do with this. Worship, connect, 
grow and serve. We call this our strategy here at Chapelwood. We really do believe that when people think about God, they think about God on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. They think about God on Sunday and they go looking for a church, which is why we want worship here at Chapelwood to be hopeful, uplifting, vital, something that adds to your thoughts about how you'll live the day differently because of who Jesus is. We believe if you come to worship enough times, you'll want to connect, connect with God and connect with your neighbor. That's one of the reasons why we do the whole stand up and greet your neighbor. Uh, not just because we want to, you know, look like all the other churches, but because we actually want you to trade names and start to get to know each other so that maybe there'll be relationships that form. And then once you connect with a couple of folk, you start realizing these people at Chapelwood, they're different. They, they keep talking about this guy, Jesus. And so we want you to take the next step and go to a grow group, which sometimes we call Sunday school classes, uh, but they meet in the evenings. They also meet on Sunday mornings. We want you to get part of a group so that you can start studying the scripture, learning about Jesus. And as you move into serve, we believe that when you learn about Jesus, you learn that he gives it all away, uh, even gives his life away on the cross for our sins. And so uh, we want to give you opportunities to give it all away as well. And so we invite you to do hands-on work for others. We call it uh, Not For Us Projects. Um, uh, Habitat for Humanity is uh, very similar. We're, uh, we have sponsored uh, that build uh, for $10,000, laying the foundation. And then on September the 10th, we will show up as a part of Framing Day to help actually build the house. We believe serve is an important part of how disciples are made. So you make disciples by uh, worshiping God, by connecting as a community, by growing in grace, and by serving those whom Jesus served. It's our recipe for discipleship. Now, over the last year, we've talked about how uh, particularly we want to raise a generation in faith. Now, there's um, a, a study of uh, vital churches that says if you do these four things with uh, children and youth over time, they're most likely to become vital Christian adults. So y'all are familiar with these four basic traits. They are uh, having a calling beyond yourself, right? Something that you uh, pour your life into that's not about you. Uh, being fluent in the faith, especially the hope that we find in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The third one is spotting God active in your life on a daily basis. We believe that if at the dinner table you ask the question, where did God show up uh, in your life today, that over time you'll start seeing God active more and more. In fact, I was watching Facebook. One of our church families uh, has been doing this really regularly. They have young elementary children. And so there's a particular thing they were praying for. And so the, um, the, the mom shared with the, the child that particular thing. It, it happened. And the kiddo said, I knew it would. I've been praying for it. I don't think I connected my prayers with the things that God does in the world until I was in college. Could you imagine what it would be like if we connected that together when we were in elementary school? And the last piece is being uh, part of a high expectation faith community. Uh, we really do believe here at Chapelwood that if you come in through the doors, we take ownership for you. And if you um, uh, wander off or uh, if something wonderful happens and you disappear or something horrible happens and you disappear, we're going to go looking for you because that's just what it means to be community. It's high expectations. But what we found is that um, doing these uh, traits all on our own feels a little bit frustrating. And so when we turn to Scripture, we find that Jesus uses small groups all throughout the Bible. Jesus gathers a group of disciples, right? Twelve disciples is usually what we traditionally describe. But uh, some scholars say there are as many as 30 people who would travel with Jesus. 
that out of those 12, Jesus selected three and asked them to be closer to him. This is similar to the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus asks uh, James, Peter, James, and John to come up to the mountain. And they had such a powerful experience. You remember this? Uh, Peter says, let's stay here and build a house, right? Um, that when Jesus uh, poured himself into these three, that it was making a very uh, different relationship uh, for them. When Jesus finally sends the disciples out to do their own good work, he doesn't send them alone. He sends them two by two. And of course, we know the early church was organized into home groups. And I'm sorry, I'm too much of a theologian not to say that God himself seems to be a small group in the Trinity. So there's something about small groups that make a difference. I would say that when uh, we spend our lives in a small group focusing on the four basic traits, when we have a group of people who call us beyond ourselves, when we have a group of people who uh, hold us accountable to being fluent in the faith, not just giving it lip service, when we have a group of people who spot God active in our lives, and then lastly, that high expectation thing. You remember the story about the, uh, paraplegi the uh, quadriplegic who uh, wanted to be seen by Jesus, but Jesus was teaching in a home, and Scripture says there were so many people listening to Jesus that they were hanging out the windows that it was just a crowd and you couldn't get through. And so four friends of this uh, quadriplegic paralyzed man uh, come and put him on a stretcher and carry him to the house. When they see that they can't get to Jesus, they climb up on the roof and dig through the roof and lower the man down to the feet of Jesus. We believe that one test of a small group is do you have a group of people that when life goes sideways, when you feel paralyzed by the work of the world around you, that you can call four friends who even if it's three in the morning will carry you to the feet of Jesus. When you think about that, that being alone and frustrated versus being part of a small group, I think you're beginning to catch the idea of how life is lived together. We spent the whole summer talking about faith formed through what? Relationships and how important that is. Um, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to be part of a small group. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, uh, existing groups, new groups, uh, forming groups, uh, I had a professor in Wesley Studies say that um, the, the criteria for joining a group uh, is um, the availability of time on your calendar. Some of us are available at six in the morning. Some are available at nine in the evening. Some are available at noon. What is the time that you're available? If you're interested, I bet we have a group that you could be a part of. Not asking you to be part of a group until Jesus comes back. Not asking you to be a part of a group until the end of the world just asking you for four to six weeks. And really, to be completely honest, I'm asking you in those small groups uh, to work with Henry Nouwen's book, Making All Things New. Uh, Nouwen wrote Making All Things New in response to his students who asked, how do you live a Christian life? Now, Nouwen um, taught at Harvard. You'd think those Harvard kids could figure it out. Um, but, uh, so he writes this book. And in the book, he talks first about how we are, our schedules are filled, but we are so unfulfilled that we are both busy and bored at the same time. Is there anybody in the house today that might feel that way? I know I feel that way. That when we look at Jesus, Jesus was busy as well, but he was busy about one thing. That one thing was doing his father's work. Are you clear on what God's work is for you? And then lastly, he talks about uh, two practices, two tools that can help people live a Christian life. Solitude 
and community. That the ability to be alone with God and the ability to be with God in the presence of a group of people are two of the skills, two of the tools that help us uh, be who God's called us to be. I want to invite you just to consider. I know um, in some ways some of you have more spiritual formation in your pinky than I do in my whole body. I get it. You've been at this a long time. But I wonder what your next step is. I wonder if your next step is to be in a small group with others who are just beginning. They need a role model. They need someone uh, to be a mentor to them. Maybe you're just beginning. Maybe you've forgotten the recipe. Maybe it's time to go back to basics. I want to close with one uh, story. Um, <laughs> we won't be passing out chocolate chip cookies, but hey, aren't they pretty? Um, I remember um, growing up in the Woodlands United Methodist Church. Uh, I was a youth, uh, seventh, eighth grade. I was so excited to be part of youth. I remember the youth director inviting all of us into the fellowship hall kitchen. Now, the Woodlands United Methodist Church is a huge place, and the kitchen was huge too. Uh, and he divided the youth group up, and he gave all of us um, in teams everything we needed to make chocolate chip cookies. Everything. The sugar, the uh, butter, the... Um, uh, baking soda, uh, the flour, um, a pan, uh, an oven, a recipe. We had it all. We had the bowls to mix it up. Everything you could ever imagine to make perfectly good chocolate chip cookies. And he says, all right, you got what you need. On your marks, get set, go. The first of you to make cookies wins. Oh my gosh, there was a, a flurry of activity. There was puffs of flour. There was a chocolate chip projectiles. Everyone was working hard to stir up the batter, to plop it down on the pan, to shove it into the oven, and then to watch to see when it's just done and they can pull it out. All with the purpose of beating everybody else. And then while it's cooking, we have a Bible study about patience. And then we sat down to eat the cookies together. And what was interesting was there was something missing from the recipe. It wasn't sugar or chocolate chips. The thing that was missing from the moment was timing. You see, when you say to a bunch of teenagers, go, they do what we would do, they go. But there's something about getting it mixed just the right way. And there's something about getting it onto the pan just the right way. And there's some timing involved and peeking it, and peeking just the right way. So that when the cookies were served without timing, well, I got one that was all flour, a little bit of baking soda, and a heap of salt. No chocolate chips to win. The guy next to me got one that was butter and sugar, just enough flour to hold it together, and it's like every chocolate chip that should have been in mine was in his. That without timing, there wasn't really consistency in what was being made. I wonder, is now the time? Is now the time for you to take your next step? Is now the time for you to begin again? You know, um, so many of us in church, we've been here so long, we don't want to admit that we actually need to go back and do a couple of steps over again, because then people go, oh, well, you're not paying attention when we did them last, right? What if there was an ollie ollie income free? And everybody went to a small group. 
and everybody listened to the message that God has for us about making all things new. What if we could sit again at the feet of the master? What if we could be there again in that workshop where disciples are made, where it's not about how good the wood is, it's not about how new the tools are, but in the hands of the master crafter, we all become something of worth. I hope that it's time. If it is time, I want to invite you to either sign up in the back uh, after service, pull out a prayer request slip from your um, registration ads and write on the back of it, or we are so fancy, text the word now to that number. We'll enter you into a list to make sure that you hear about all the offerings of small groups that you could be a part of. Um, it's not, you know, there's no strings attached. We're not going to make you do anything. We just want to know if you want some idea about when the next opportunity is. We'd love to share it with you. We'll start studying Making All Things New on September the 11th. I wonder, is now the time? I hope now is the time. I think it's a great step to take all together as we pursue a relationship with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.